Jason, can I ask you a question? You already did. <laughs> do you want to have a follow-up question yeah, to that I question? Yeah, I do. Okay. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. For taking it so literally. It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. What has been your biggest struggle with rejection, personally or professionally? Either a fear of rejection or actual rejection, and how did it make you feel? I think my biggest, I mean, I don't know if I can pinpoint one situation, but the rejection that I fear that I still have feelings around is loving someone, being in love with someone, loving someone and having, not having that love be returned. Unrequited love. Unrequited love. Mm-hmm. Unreciprocated love mm-hmm. on a personal level. And also on a professional level in the sense of if I put out like my book or the TV series or any of these big projects that I've been very proud of in my life that I've done up to this point. I mean, this podcast falls under that category. I have no idea how this is going to be received. To put something out into the world that I've put my entire heart into and not having it be received in the way that I would have hoped, which again is the same feeling in a way of unrequited love. I've put my heart into something I put my full attention into something, my heart is in it, my focus is in it, and then not having it be received. That is absolutely the deepest form of rejection that I fear. It's been very painful, whether that's been a woman that I've loved who hasn't returned it or putting that love into a project and not having it be received the way I wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. So you're saying you've experienced that and you're also afraid of it happening again? Because it's fucking painful. Yeah, it's fucking painful. Why do you think it is painful, though? That's a really good question. I've been thinking a lot about this. Why is it so painful? Mm -hmm. Maybe because if I'm going to take responsibility for the pain of it, right? My contribution to like setting myself up for pain. Maybe I have an expectation in those situations that if I put my full self into something, passionate, my full passion, my full heart, I'm dedicated, I'm committed that the other person or the world ought to respond in kind and receive that love and receive that. And maybe there's an expectation that if I dedicate myself fully to something, put everything I have into it, that somehow that will be returned to me or it should be returned to me. And when it isn't, I wonder if maybe it's not my heart being broken, but my expectations not being met, my expectations being broken. Well, we talked about in another episode how heartbreak is often the result of your expectations expectations not being met. And I'm wondering if this is just a version of that. Yeah. I'm wondering. I don't know if that's the answer for me, but you asked and I'm kind of riffing in real time with you right now on that. And when you say it that way, if you can take a step back from yourself. Yeah. It actually feels a little bit selfish. Like, I'm not saying that you, Jason, are selfish, but that reaction is selfish, is I'm doing something and people should respond to it this way. And if they don't, then I'm offended or I'm heartbroken or I'm hurt, period. Or I'm a failure. I think that's where 
I'm a failure. I think that's the bigger struggle and the bigger fear that people have is that to me, this makes me wonder if that's the fear, like I'm a failure, then maybe part of you already thinks that you're a failure and that it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm, Like I'm looking for evidence to support my belief system that I'm a failure. Yes. So rather than say a relationship ending and just having the attitude like this is the natural course of things, things start, things end. I'm using, I'm looking for evidence to be like, ah, you screwed up another one, didn't you? You failed at this one too, like all the others, which again, you could put that on. If you're an entrepreneur, you're in business for yourself or an artist, whatever it is, you're creating things in the world. If it doesn't go the way you wanted to or expected, you could also frame those moments as like, yeah, I suck as an entrepreneur. I suck as an artist or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think you're onto something really interesting of, I think the mind, you know, our minds as humans are constantly looking for evidence to support the belief systems and the structures that are already hardwired in our neurobiology. Mm-hmm. It's like looking around like, okay, my life sucks. Where's more evidence? Where's more evidence bias. that life sucks? Confirmation bias. Absolutely. And consequently, I think if our lives are going really well, you know, if we have trained ourselves to look for the good things, or we talk about gratitude practices, right? You and I are huge on that. It's really good to train ourselves instead of looking for evidence to support something that's wrong in our lives, looking, doing our best to try and train ourselves to look at a framework of what's going right. What can I be grateful for? That's a different energetic imprint when we do that on life. Well, I think it just comes down to a lot of the answers that we riff on, yeah. <laughs> the solutions or the tactics that we talk about in these episodes and throughout everything that we do with Wellevator is it's all about mindset training. Because I've found over time when I'm battling with an emotion like that, where usually it's somebody else responding to me in a way that feels re- like rejection. Okay. Right. It's somebody saying, I don't like what you said. I don't like what you did. I don't like what you look like. I don't like you in the way that you like me. I don't notice you. All of those emotions, that's what I start to think of. And a lot of this comes back to the ways that we are feeling as kids or teenagers, right? I mean, so many of us can identify with those emotions growing up. And feeling like we didn't fit in or something Mm -hmm. or getting in trouble with our parents or saying something or wanting something and our parents not giving it to us. Or for me, sometimes it was in school, like with teachers, I really wanted their approval and all that. So there's all these older emotions that maybe we're just still working through because when we're younger, we don't have as many mental tools. Most of us, we tend to learn these things as we go on with age, unless we're surrounded by very wise spiritual types. And, you know, they say trauma is often the result of experiencing something before you can really understand it. Absolutely. Right. So I think a lot of us face rejection in all sorts of different ways. And as we're growing up, whether we're really young children or we're teenagers, we're developing our senses of self. And so that's like a crucial time if we're feeling rejected or if we're feeling like we're not getting the approval or the validation that we want, then it kind of becomes instilled in our sense of self. And then we're still facing a lot of that as adults, but we have to be very, very conscious about it. 
So as part of the mental work, and I think this is one of the reasons that people are really drawn to therapy, right? Therapy can often help you identify things like this. You just talk through it and then you realize, oh, that's something that happened long ago. That's me just being attached to the past and not letting go of the past to be very present. And I'm projecting into the future the things that I don't want and the things that I'm fearful of, etc. And so I find, coming back to the mental training point, that when these things come up, you can just sit with them and acknowledge them, similar to what you would do in a meditation practice, and just not judge them as, as true or not, like not put them as part of your story. I think that that's another thing is that so many people just create these stories about themselves and they just assume that other people are saying or doing something because they're thinking something something about them, right? Like for you, Jason, it's, oh, well, I'm not buying your book because you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. Or I'm not buying your book because who knows why someone's <laughs> not buying your book. I, I don't know what's in that story for you. What is your fear? Like when you interpret that as rejection, what do you think that people are, what do you think that means? Like what's the story, in other words, for you? Not being seen, not being valued. Like that this person doesn't see value in my work as an author. They don't see value in my work as, you know, an artist, a chef, you know, someone who spent years literally on this project. But that's where I'm saying, like, it starts to become kind of self-centered because Mm -hmm. this actually reminds me, last night I was watching American Idol and they were at this stage where they were picking, they had to cut down from 40 people to 20 people. Right. And so all 40 people had to perform and they're all good. I mean, obviously, to get to the top 40 out of however many people auditioned for American Idol, right? Hundreds, thousands, maybe. Who knows? I'm sure it's, yeah, many thousands. I don't know exactly how many people audition, but, you know, they spend weeks and weeks going through auditions and they narrow it down and down and down. So anyways, they're at 40 to 20 and they all have to get on stage and do these big performances. And then the judges have to look at them all and see who's the best relative to each other. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I mean is sometimes we're being rejected because somebody prefers something over us or something that we're doing, or maybe they're distracted. And there's so many different scenarios in which somebody may say, not now, basically. They might not be saying, no, it's not right now, or I've chosen something else for the time being. And I think a lot of the times the rejection feels painful because it feels permanent. It's like, well, I'm not buying your book, just as an example. But maybe that's because they're in the midst of reading another cookbook or they literally just bought another cookbook. Yeah, exactly. And so they just don't need a second one and they didn't see yours first. I mean, that happens all the time. Yeah. Is somebody decides to get something and then there's some another option that comes up later that they didn't even know of. That doesn't mean that the second option or the new option is any worse. It might be exactly the same or very comparable. It might even be better. But, you know, it's like buying a car. You buy a car based on what you know and what you have and the decisions at the time. And then amazing cars are around. But just because you're not buying them doesn't mean that they're not incredible. For sure. It's a great analogy. Yeah. What you talked about of this kind of selfish perception and part of the suffering not being related to not having all the information. So one of the big things I remember working on years ago, right, was as children, you talked about this trauma setting and because we don't have the mental tools and we don't have 
we don't have sort of the bird's eye view or a greater perception of what's happened to us in our childhood. So one of my big things right around rejection and abandonment was my dad leaving at a very young age and my mom and dad breaking up and that disillusion of their partnership. And that happened when I was really young. So my child brain interpreted that as, okay, like things were fine before I got here. And then once I showed up on the scene, now my parents are splitting up and dad's leaving because I didn't have all the information. I didn't understand how to properly perceive that situation in all of its fullness. I just was like, they were great. They had me. I showed up and now everything's screwed. So I actually took a lot of responsibility for that thinking, well, dad must be leaving because I'm not good enough. And what's the X factor? Oh, I'm here now. Right. So my child brain in a very primitive and simplistic way perceived I'm the problem. I'm the reason he's leaving. And that's been one of the deepest, maybe the deepest source of trauma in my entire life that I've had to unravel. I'm, I'm still unraveling it. I've done a lot of work, but I still am. But if I zoom out now, right, and with all the information I have now of where my father's state of consciousness was, you know, he had addiction issues that ultimately killed him. You know, he had emotional issues. He had mental problems. There were so many things that as a three, four-year-old, I didn't understand. I didn't know. I didn't have that information. But it's helped me not only let myself off the hook and forgive myself for believing that for so many years, it's helped me frame my relationship with him and, and able to forgive him in now understanding that he had things that he just never dealt with. He didn't understand how to deal with. He wasn't willing to deal with the addiction and the mental illness and all these things. And I can start to, again, absolve myself from, I was the problem. I'm not good enough. That's why I got abandoned. You know, it's not that the abandonment fear doesn't come up or the rejection fear doesn't come up, but if I can trace it back to the original wound, right, the, the deepest source of that trauma, I can have more understanding and compassion for that situation and not take the blame for it. And that's reduced the fear around it. And it can also teach you that everything you just said about your father and his state, the more that you've learned about who he was, it's a good reminder that it wasn't about you necessarily. No. no. And that's, I think, what's going on is, is we're human beings. We talked about this in the relationship episode. It's like, it's amazing that two people can get along for long periods of time because they're still having two separate experiences and they have this whole past that's built up to where they are. And so there's just so many differences between one another, right? Yeah. And so it's almost as if rejection sometimes is another form of sadness that you're not in alignment and I think a lot of us have this desire to connect with one another, right? We want to form these communities that's very embedded in who we are as human beings. And so maybe rejection also really hurts because that means, oh, this person, like you were saying, not being seen or not being valued or maybe not being fully understood. I think that, that can be really, really painful because you just think that, well, it's almost like coming back to the survival instincts because if, if this person is rejecting you, then like, are you not going to be able to get what you want or what you really need? Mm. But again, we just start to project all of these things and assumptions. And these everything that we're thinking is really all in our own heads. And it's almost impossible to really know what anybody else is thinking because that all depends on their ability to communicate it. Absolutely. And that to me is, is also part of the mental training that I've been working on is when I get in my head and just think things like, oh, what's this person thinking of me? How do they feel about what I just did or what I just said? I have so many moments around that. And it's kind of like this underlying insecurity 
and this vulnerability of, oh, I said or did this, and I don't know if it's going to be received in the way that I intended it to. But ultimately, everything that we say and do is out once it's said or done, it's out of our hands because it depends on so many factors about how it's received, but there's nothing that we can do. So what you brought up in me, I wanted to talk about communication really quick. And there's a distinction that I heard years ago. I think I was taking a workshop nine years ago in Venice with the founders of Cafe Gratitude, Matthew and Tercy Englehart. And I remember them talking about communication in their marriage, their relationship, their family. And they were talking about clarity in communication, but also being sensitive to how another person receives your communication. And they were talking about the difference between no and not right now. And this was so interesting to me because I realized that sometimes we do actually mean no. Like this is, I'm not interested. I have no desire to do this in the future. It's just, it's just no. But sometimes it's more accurate to actually say, not right now. Yes. Thank you. And when we're in an intimate partnership or a friendship or a relationship with vulnerability and intimacy, and we're trying to connect and be authentic in our communication, there are probably a lot of instances where the more accurate response is not right now. And sometimes no, I mean, tonality and pitch and how we say it means a lot, you know, but sometimes say, like, oh, babe, you want to go for a walk with me? You know, it's like, no, when the more kind and, and accurate response might be not right now. I, you know? And that's actually not a phrase that I hear very often. Exactly. So it's such a good reminder. Exactly. And it's bringing up a couple of things for me. One is I think sometimes people feel rejected if they don't get a response at all. Right. I know this happened right. to me recently. Like you put out a message and the person does not respond. But as I go through my life, there's plenty of times where I haven't responded or I take a long time to respond, mm. especially you know, emails, even texts. I have texts for my birthday a few weeks ago that I still haven't <laughs> responded to, you know, and it's like. I sat there thinking, I just don't, I'm not ready to respond yet. Yeah. It doesn't, it has nothing to do with this person. It's just all about me. And it's such a good reminder when I behave that way, that if somebody doesn't respond to me, I just can't take it personally, mm -hmm. especially in business. A lot of the times you just need to follow up with somebody. And that's really where the key is. I know for me, when somebody follows up with me, it shows me that they're really on top of it and they want it bad. And sometimes it's, it's somebody's waiting for you to follow up with them to show that you really care and that you really want it. But if you just like expect to put something out there and then somebody to give you a response, then you could receive a yes, you could receive a no, you could receive no response at all, but all of those could change. And so if you really want something, you're going to keep asking for it and finding creative ways or move on to somebody else in the meantime. And so it's all about that persistence as opposed to just giving up on the first try or the 10th try, or the 20th or whatever. If you really want something, you'll keep going and you'll find a way to get it. I think it's also not fooling ourselves with the illusion that there's one gatekeeper or one path yes. or one opportunity. I think that we as a society tend to be a little bit obsessed with like, how do I say this? Like the penultimate opportunity, like this is going to be the thing that skyrockets me. This is going to be the thing that breaks me or makes me a celebrity or makes me rich or whatever. Or this person is the one. Or this, this person's is, the one. This and is we, the one I've been waiting for and the love of my life. Oh my God, right? And we put so much heaviness and expectation and dense energy on the thing that 
I don't know, is going to be our salvation, is going to be our path to riches, our path to love, our path to our dreams coming true. But there's not one path. There's not one route to do this. It's not about like, uh, if I want to break as a singer, I got to make it on American Idol. I got to make it on The Voice. If I want to be an actor, you know, I've, I've got to make it big in Hollywood or have this agent or there's so many versions of this. And I think it's all an illusion when we think that there's only one path to have, be, and do the life we want. It's constricting and it's, I think it's stress creating. And it's the same thing with relationships too. I think there's something in our society of of like, find that one person and spend the rest of your life with them. And so no wonder it's so devastating when a relationship doesn't work out or a marriage, especially. I mean, a lot of our culture is very judgmental about divorce and it instills a lot of fear in people about divorce and shame. And there just seems all this negative energy around it. And it's actually remarkable to me that relationships can even stand the test of 10, 20 years, you know, and that to me is more rare. And having this expectation that you're going to find somebody and that person is going to fit you for your whole life or even going through a relationship, knowing that you're not really happy with them, but you're just so committed to staying it no, in no matter what. I think about that a lot too, is how there's also a lot of these like ideas around, well, I'm just going to stick it through thick or thin to death to us part. And it's like, well, is that really what you want? Is that really best for you? Or is that something that you just are doing because you think you should be doing it? Mm. Or you're afraid to reject somebody? I mean, that, that's the other side of rejection too, is It's hard to be rejected, but it's also really hard to reject someone else. Oh, holy smokes. (laughs) You know what, though? Practicing it is so valuable. So I want to give an example really quick of something recently that I've had a hard time doing. So I've been just dating since my last serious relationship ended. And I went on some dates this year and there were several people that, you know, were following up with me like, hey, you know, do you want to hang out again? And I remember just sitting there being like, I don't want to. And how can I deliver this message to them, right? How can I reject them, but do it with as much truth and accuracy and compassion as possible? Not to be disingenuous about it, right? I'm not trying to quote, soften the blow, but I want to be honest. Mm -hmm. And like one person, I remember I sat in the car for like five minutes thinking about how can I authentically respond, not respond out of fear, right? Because I remember my mind going like, oh, but how's she going to feel? And it was like, if you just speak from your heart and be honest, that is the best way to do this. And uh, in two instances of people I went on dates with this year, I just got better at it each time. And it's this thing of like, hey, this is how I'm feeling about it. I'm not really interested in exploring this a level deeper. And I totally appreciate your time and you know your desire to connect. And the responses I got though were, thank you so much for your honesty. And rather than, and of course, I don't know what's going on inside of them on the other line of the phone, the other end of the phone rather, but their response was gratitude, like, thank you for just being so upfront and honest about this. And so practicing it, it's almost like we're more afraid of the possibility we might hurt someone when in reality, they might receive and go, wow, this dude was actually like straight up honest with me. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. And it's also that type of rejection tends to feel very temporary for most people. It's, It's like you go out on a date and yeah, it usually does not feel good when someone rejects you. And it also doesn't feel good to reject someone else. And it might feel awkward. It might feel uncomfortable. But that's the other thing is I think a, a lot of the times our fears around rejection is just the fear of being uncomfortable. Because 
life is constantly changing. And in a way, it actually helps if you are putting yourself out there a lot, because that means that when you get rejected from one thing, your focus is immediately going on another. I think one of the the most detrimental things is if you only put yourself out there every once in a while, and then when you get rejected, you just like don't do anything for a while. And so now you're just obsessing and ruminating over that one rejection. Right. There's a really great TED Talk about how this one man went on a quest for, I think it was a year, to get rejected as many times as possible. And it's, it's really worth watching. And he basically found that it just got easier and easier the more he was rejected. So just like you're saying, it's easier the more you practice rejecting or turning down people in other, all sorts of different scenarios. I mean, I find it hard with business stuff too. I mean, I get approached about all sorts of business opportunities and a lot of them are not the right fit. So sometimes I just ignore it like an email. And again, if someone follows up, usually that shows me they care enough. And if it's not the right fit, then I'll give them a response. And sometimes I'll try to respond to everybody and I'll really just try to be authentic. Actually, Tim Ferriss shared this. He did a book I want to say it was Tribe of Mentors. We'll Mm -hmm. put this in the show notes. Mm -hmm. And he reached out to all of these other, all of these amazing entrepreneurs, successful people. And some of them turned him down for getting interviewed for the book or answering his questions. And he actually shared one of the rejection letters that he got as an example of how to set your boundaries and how to very kindly and professionally turn down an opportunity. This is also so important. Because saying no is actually incredibly valuable for us. Absolutely. I feel like a lot of times in life, just based on what you were saying, Jason, that we want to say yes to things because we don't want to hurt somebody. We're also often afraid of missing out. And I've definitely gone through this a lot in my career is I want to just say yes to everything. It's like the FOMO, the fear of missing out or the what if scenario of like, well, what if this is a really good thing and I'm going to screw it up if I turn it down? I mean, this is a tricky one, right? Because I think in essence, we can weigh all the variables of anything. A person we meet, people we're dating, business opportunities. To me, we can get stuck in our head weighing all the pros and cons, right? And my brain is very analytical. I have a tendency to do this. I actually, I'm very good at making pro and con lists. It's one of my skill sets. But ultimately, we have to go with our gut with people. And I think whether I wanted to say this, whether it's you know business opportunities or dating people, because that's kind of where we're floating in the space or in this moment, the podcast, contrast and experience are so valuable in, I think, developing our intuition. And I say this simply because I've just been dating and meeting people a lot, you know, over the past, whatever, six, seven months. And to meet a lot of people and to put yourself in different experiences when something really rich and compelling and interesting does show up or someone, you feel it. You're like, oh, this is different. Mm-hmm. This isn't like all the other, oh, what? okay, let me dive into this. And that's that can be, again, business or romance or whatever. But I'm saying that because I'm in that mode right now exploring a new person. And I'm doing it because there's a substantive depth and wisdom and consciousness and there's all of these layers to this person that I'm like, oh, this is different. I can feel it's different. It's interesting. I need to investigate this. But you wouldn't know that it was different had you not had all those other experiences. And had, not, had I not been rejected and had I not said kindly no to other people when I knew my gut was like, no, this isn't for you. 
Right, because often saying no to something that's not right is is leaving room to say yes to something. Because we could say yes to something where we know it's not right, and that actually takes our attention away or it fills up all of our time or energy or whatever. It's basically filling up our life so there's no room for something even better to come in. And I think there's also this fear of, well, what do I do in between the rejection while I'm waiting for for the thing that I really want to happen. I mean, yeah. right? When you think about this word dating, like you can get so lonely and discouraged and exhausted. Same thing with business. I mean, I actually think the bigger inspiration for this episode was us reflecting on all sorts of business-related rejection scenarios and that fear of, you know, I've been trying so hard and nothing I'm doing seems to be working or people aren't saying yes to me. Or people are saying no to me, right? All of that. That's very, very common when you're running your own business, when you're putting yourself out there a lot, when you're very invested in something. And it's tough. It's tough when you're in those places where you've either been rejected outright or nobody's taking you up on it. I think that those are both very similar feelings because sometimes when nobody's saying yes to you, it does feel like everybody's saying no. When I think there's something to be said for, what is the quote? Rejection is God's protection. Yes. Right. And when I receive that, I don't perceive that phrase as I'm being protected from dangerous things. I think for me, it means that if something doesn't come to fruition in life or things don't go the way I planned or this, I get rejected or things fall apart, whatever, it's not meant for me. It's just not meant for me. I don't know what's meant for me. I don't know what life wants for me. I know what I want. But I don't know what life wants. And often what I'm feeling lately, especially this year, what I'm, I'm really sinking into, I don't think we've discussed this, is there's like a third force that I feel when I let go of control and I surrender more is almost guiding my life. And I don't have to be the one with my hands white knuckling the steering wheel all the freaking time. And this idea of letting go. It's this kind of cliche thing we see coming up all the time in the conscious and wellness industries, right? This whole field we're we're so passionate about. But truly, like, I think I've just been listening to my gut, listening to this third force. I don't know, spirit, God, soul. I don't know what to call it. The name isn't really that important for me right now. It's just I feel when life is kind of steering me and I can let go a little bit more and trust that things have a way of guiding me toward what wants to happen, what wants to be the people I'm meant to be with. And I don't have to be the one, yeah, with my hands on the wheel all the freaking time. It's like that Jesus take the wheel song. Yeah. Have you heard that? Or, you know or, what I'm talking about? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or like uh, Incubus, the song Drive comes up for me. Mm. You know, which is great. The lyrics to that song are fantastic. Sing a little bit. Oh, God. Yeah. Whatever tomorrow brings, I'll be there. With open arms and open eyes, yeah. And there's this lyric in the song where he talks about like letting the fear take the wheel and steer and like letting, just letting go. And there's something about, you know, if I trust that life loves me, God loves me, spirit loves me, whatever you believe in, then maybe we can let, start to let go a little bit more and trust that we're being led to the opportunities and the people that are exactly meant for us, even when it's desolate, even if we feel like we're walking through the desert with no freaking water. It's like, where's my oasis? Where's my salvation? But that's faith, right? Whether you're a religious person or not, there's something to be said about faith versus fear in this conversation. It also 
has been my experience that when I feel like nothing's working mm-hmm. and I hit this point of like deep frustration or sadness, that heartbroken feeling that we're talking about here of I'm trying so much, I'm doing my best, I feel like I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. That's something that I face a lot because I'm very strategic and I'm someone that I want to have a plan and be able to follow it and think, if I follow these steps, I'm going to get this result. So when I follow steps and I don't get a result, I get so discouraged because I feel helpless. I feel like I'm not in control. But what I've noticed lately, including very recently, when I've hit those points, I just end up kind of throwing up my arms and saying, okay, well, I've tried it all. It's a difference between giving up and surrendering. Thank you. That's a massive distinction. Because for me, like, let's say about business, which is something that I feel like I'm always, I I, honestly, there are many times where I'll have so many strategies and the strategies aren't working. And I just think, I don't know what's going to work. But what I have been able to notice about myself in those moments is that I'm not giving up on the business. I love the business. I'm committed to the business. I'm in it. It's that I'm taking a step back and surrendering, letting go and just letting be. In fact, Jason and I have a wonderful mutual friend. And there was one day I called up this friend and expressed to her how I was feeling. Pretty much what I just said, which was like, I feel like I'm trying all of these things and they're not working. And she listened and she said, well, maybe you should just try, just stop and let go. And she asked me, had I done that? And I said, yeah, you know, I've been meditating and I've been going to yoga and I've been doing all these spiritual practices and reading books. And I was, I was trying to share with her all these examples of what to me felt like letting go and surrendering. And she kind of paused for a moment. And then she said, you know, Whitney, that sounds like you're doing a lot of doing. <laughs> so my version of not doing things was like being on my computer and working on my newsletter and working on social media and working on my courses, like that stuff felt like work. And all of the things I just listed off, it didn't feel like work because those are self-care, but self-care is also often self-work. And so unless you're just sitting there in meditation and in the most relaxed version of meditation possible, you're probably doing something. And so then you're not actually surrendering. And once she said that, I had this aha moment and I thought, you know what? She's right. I have not yet tried to completely stop doing. And I found a massive sense of relief. It was as if my friend was just giving me permission by saying that I was, I didn't need to do all those things. I could just be, or I could just wake up in the morning and just sit there and not feel like I had to immediately jump on my phone or my computer or go to yoga class or pick up a book or whatever. I could just sit there and let the day flow. And as you're saying, it's like letting the day guide me, letting however it just kind of happens. And I think that this is the other big important tip here is that that trust. And I wanted to bring this up too, is I've struggled a lot with trust and in surprising ways, because I feel like for most of my life, I am a very trusting person. I find it very easy to meet somebody and trust them give them the benefit of the doubt, right? But I don't know how much I've really trusted myself. And over time, I've started to notice 
how I don't trust other people. And actually, I meant to say this earlier when you were talking about the difference between no and not yet. Yep. When I ask something of somebody and they say no to me, a lot of the times I'll continue to ask them because I don't trust that the no is the actual answer. And I think for a lot of my life, I thought, oh, well, I'm just very persistent and it's just my way of getting my way, right? But I have realized probably in the past year or two, that's actually more of a trust issue because I'm not trusting that that person is clear on their answer. Oh, that's interesting. Right? So now in terms of communication, I've had to really be present and try not to judge or control somebody else's answer or push their boundaries, which is something that I tend to do. And I think the core of it is like, well, I mean, I do this with Jason. Jason knows this about me. (laughs) You can't see my face right now, but the eyebrows are up. Mm -hmm. He knows this. And we get into our little bickering moments because... Brother-sister moments. Oh, for sure. We have a lot of brother-sister moments. (laughs) And uh, sometimes I'll ask Jason something and he'll say no. And a lot of the times I don't trust that he actually means no. So I'm going to stay right here on this podcast that we can work on incorporating not yet into our conversation. Not right now. I feel like a lot of the times when you say no to me, it's usually a not right now answer. Absolutely. It's rare that you have like a solid firm no. Yeah. I mean, if you were to ask me like, do you want to go bungee jumping uh, off the top of the Eiffel Tower? That'd probably be a hard, eh, maybe not. That's what I'm saying. Maybe not. Let me sit with that. No, you're right. No is a, it's kind of a rare, like. It's very finite. And that's why I'm saying not right now or not yet is a more accurate response Mm -hmm. that I can definitely be more present to, but is more honest with our communication. Because yeah, I mean, there are things that are like, hey, do you want to go get a steak? No. (laughs) I'm vegan. (laughs) No. Thank you. I mean, let's think big picture here. Like, how do we know that we're going to be vegan for the rest of our life? I mean, even in that case, like. I know right now we feel like, well, I'm never going to have a steak again, but we have no clue. You realize that this tiny little interlude in the Well of Hater podcast, people might extract this five second conversation of like, well, Whitney and Jason said there was a possibility they might eat steak in the future. (laughs) We're putting our flame suits on right now, fellow vegans. We love you. But don't take this out of context. But this is the thing. If if my belief more and more is that I have a very open mind, I see the world in much more gray than I do black and white. And I know that nothing is certain. The only thing is I am certain that I'm vegan right now, but I have absolutely no clue. Yeah. So many things could change over time. I think this is the same thing when I was talking about like marriage, for instance, again, speaking out of ignorance of never being married, it's that, yes, you can agree and you can commit to somebody But you're not literally locked into that person because so many things could happen. That person could make a decision that is greatly against your ethics, your morals, something that you deeply disagree with and you don't want to be with them anymore. Absolutely. That person could pass away. That person could decide they didn't want to be with you anymore. So you might feel in this moment of getting married or being married that you'll spend the rest of your life with this person. That might be your intention. But that doesn't guarantee anything. Nothing is guaranteed. And that's what I'm trying to say about the vegan thing. It's just, you know, one example is, yes, in this moment, I intend to be vegan for the foreseeable future. But I have no idea if something that I couldn't possibly see coming happens. I mean, a perfect example is uh, 
the, all these developments with like lab grown meats and stuff like that. Right. Like, is that, I mean, this is a whole nother rabbit hole I'm not trying to get into, but my point being like, what if in the future there's like zero animal agriculture yeah, and everything's grown that's in the what lab? I'm saying. I don't know what's going to happen. I think like, that's we, a much better future. We have a, that's probably one of the biggest points that I'm making here is that we do not have control. We are not in the future. We're in the present moment. Anything can happen at any time. And anything that anything could be perceived as good or bad, valuable or invaluable, you know, so that's part of the ease and being able to let go more is say, yes, this is my intention. This is my desire. This is my current commitment. But I also have to simultaneously know that I'm, I'm not even guaranteed another breath. No, we have absolutely no idea what is coming for us, what is waiting for us. We have no idea what ought to be. And we don't know what life wants for us. You know, and we talk about in high performance wellness and the things we're passionate about, you know, one of the big things is like asking really clear, high quality questions. And what I've begun to shift in terms of how I talk to myself, because I talk to myself all the time, like at home, I will just like literally talk to myself out loud. And one of the shifts that I've noticed within myself, right, is instead of asking myself, like, what do I want? What does life want? I don't know what life wants. But if I shift myself into that idea of life wanting something that I don't know yet, that I don't know where I'm being guided, the great question that I ask myself is, what wants to happen right now? Not what do I want, okay? But what wants to happen in a lot of- What is happening? Or, or what is happening. But in a lot of moments, the reason I ask that question is because if I say, what do I want, right? Okay. The ego, the selfish I, if you will, right? The id, the idea of who I am is like, I just want to like run from this uncomfortable situation. I want to like say, you know, fuck this, go home, get a pint of Ben and Jerry's, Banana Foster's vegan ice cream and like whatever, you know, watch all of the episodes of Game of Thrones before the final season. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but if there is a situation that I can perceive as life wants me to engage in this uncomfortable situation and create peace, life wants me to sit here and find compassion in this moment. Life wants me to be here and be present with this loved one, even though I have other commitments, or I do want to be at home watching Game of Thrones with a pint of ice cream. So when I'm saying like, from a perspective of moving from the selfish ego-based desire into what is life asking of me to create more love and compassion and understanding on this planet, often what life wants is for me to sit in uncomfortable situations and do my best to spread love and understanding. When my brain is like, just go home, just go home, just... And if you're choosing not to be uncomfortable right now by some form of escapism, right, which exactly. whatever you want to choose to try to escape, you're just delaying the inevitable. Which is that life is going to give me another opportunity to grow. Yes. Life is going to give me another opportunity to find middle ground and compassion and understanding with this person. So even if I run from this thing and choose to go home and do whatever my selfish brain is telling me to do, it's not like I'm running from responsibility or the opportunity to grow because... Years ago, when I was in a session with an Ayurvedic healer, and I was so, this was when I had my catering business. You and I hadn't met yet. I was stressed as how, I mean, you've seen me stressed. This was one of those moments where I was like, I'm at my breaking point. Went to go see this Ayurvedic healing practitioner, and we were just talking about life. I mean, we were talking about the body, we were talking about healing, but we were just talking about living in our path. And she said, Well, you know, you checked the growth box on the way in here. You know that, right? You've told me this before. Yeah, she's like, you, you know, you didn't chose to come in here and like be a Hilton or be a Kardashian or be what like you chose to come. You checked the growth box. So 
your soul is choosing life situations to help you grow and expand and evolve this entire lifetime and probably every lifetime. Well, it's like so that co-curation. It's like, yes, you're making a choice, but you're co-curating with... Life. Yeah. Curating or creating? Creating. Thank well, you. curating too. Yeah, I guess it's both. You're co-creating your life along with whatever higher force you believe in. Absolutely. And I think that's part of it too, when you can realize that you don't have to do it all alone. You're not doing it all alone. So and we're never alone. The more you can surrender, the more you give opportunity for support. And it gives you opportunity to get clear on what you want. And I'm just truly such a big believer in that what is meant for you will not miss you. Mm. So yes, you could say yes to something and it might not feel right, but maybe you needed to say yes to it to realize it didn't feel right. And it's just, again, like with all these choices we can get in our heads, it's like with the fear of missing out. It's just because you decide not to do something. Who says you're really missing out on it? Because if it's meant for you, there's no way to miss out on it. It'll just happen in another form or at another time, right? I mean, we see this so many times in life where you have these almost moments, right? Whether it's like an, so a relationship, it's like, oh, that relationship, I really felt like that person could have been the one, but they weren't. Or maybe they were the one at that time, but not somebody that you're going to spend the next 10, 20, whatever years with. And same thing with business. I mean, I think sometimes people get so in their heads with competition, Ooh. right? Yeah. But if you believe that there's room for everybody, which I believe there is, then you can see somebody else succeed. That doesn't mean that you won't succeed. It's just that that's that person's time. And your time will come and it may be in a different form and it might be very similar. It might be incredibly different. It might feel more important to you. I mean, that's the thing is, I think we just, we all are often just getting so in our heads out of fear that we're not going to get what we want. I think that's ultimately what it is. Yeah. Right? It's like, I'm not going to get the love that I want. I'm not going to get the approval, the validation. I mean, actually, all of this is about love ultimately, right? I'm not going to be able to do what I want in life. I'm not going to be able to love my life and appreciate, I mean, it's just like, if you really start to break it down, it's just so simple. I think most of us just want to be at peace and want to feel happy. And so love is tied in in so many different forms. We have this deep desire to be loved by other people. And it is painful when we don't feel loved. But we have to really step back and think, is that the truth of what's happening here? Is that person saying that they don't love us? And if they are saying it, how much does it even really matter? Because coming back to your initial comment on all this, Jason, as you said, one of the deepest pains of rejection for you is feeling unrequited love, unreciprocated. But the more that I've started to dive deep into different spiritual perspectives on love, one of the most common things that, that is explained is that love is within you. It's not about whether or not that other person gives it back to you. And so if you look at your life, your career, your business, your profession, your passion, well, why does it matter if somebody doesn't love what you're doing or see your value? Isn't it up to you to just love it and express it? We yes. talked about this in the episode about expression too, is why would you ever let something that you love or why would you stop doing something that you really love just because somebody else didn't love it. 
in the way that you wanted them to. Well, then it's not really love. There's conditions. There's something conditional about that. Right. Right. It's I'm not, and this is very present right now in the kind of goals we have, right? It's not just enough for me to write a book that I've put my heart and my soul into. It's got to be a New York Times bestseller. It's very conditional. I'm only going to write a book if it's a bestseller. I'm only going to produce a TV show if it wins an Emmy or it's a hit or makes me a million dollars. We have a friend who will go unnamed. I'm not even a friend, former friend, to be honest about it, acquaintance, who at one point years ago was making through his art and his business uh, like half a million dollars, right? It's like, wow, dude, congratulations. Like, that's incredible. It's like, no, no, if I don't make a million this year, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. It's like, you travel all over the world doing what you say you love, you say you love, but a half a million dollars isn't enough. You need to make a million or you're quitting this. So are you really doing this because you love it? Or are you doing it because there's an expectation of some kind of reward on the other end of it? Mm-hmm. And that's conditional. That's not actually love. Or maybe they just love money more than they love the uh, route to money. I mean, that's the other thing, too, is you can actually start to dissect your reactions to rejection. If you're doing something, let's say you're a performer and you really want to be successful, you want to be well-known. When somebody rejects you, is it that they're rejecting your you're hurt because they don't like what you're performing or are you hurt because you're so attached to people's approval and maybe performing is just the way that you get approval just like with this friend maybe this person really wants money which is probably more about security or masculinity or whatever like there's another level there too so the art form is just really the pathway and so that's why that's reaction there and I don't even think that there's anything wrong with that. It's just that maybe it's making it clear that they just need to find another way to that path because it has nothing to do with it. And I think sometimes this is the really tough thing for me as a content creator on YouTube and social media and now the podcast and all of these different forms of media that I create on my own or with Jason or other people is that if you don't feel like it's being received, sometimes it can feel like, well, is what I'm doing not good? Yeah. Is there something wrong? Do I need to change it? This is something I've struggled with so much. And you know what? Especially after being on YouTube for 10 years and creating over a thousand videos over time, I've never been able to predict what is going to do well. Yeah. Yeah. I've tried so many strategies and a lot of the times the strategies don't really move the needle. And I found myself feeling most of the time so unsure of myself. So unsure. And so what I've been working on recently is embracing that and saying, well, I could look at it this way, which is, I just never know when everything's going to work. So I I don't really even feel motivated because I'm afraid that I'm going to have another disappointment and it's not going to get the results I want. Or I could say, you know what? I don't know what's going to work. So I'm just going to keep trying all sorts of things and see what works and be unattached to what does and doesn't. And know that I might not even be able to replicate the things that work. You know, there's a big mindset in like the social media and video world of like these viral videos. And so everyone's like trying to make them and figure out the formula for what's viral. But something that's viral is often very hard to define or predict, right? Or impossible to replicate. Yes. Yesterday, I saw this video from England about apparently there was a video shoot going on and some woman accidentally walked into frame in front of a car and then realized she was walking into a shoot 
and then like did this trick where she like like it was almost like a trap door opened and she vanished out of frame like instantly random right from somewhere in the uk some news station in the uk and the last two days it's blown up you can't predict that you can't formulate that it's just life happening and i think that's part of the letting go of control and like we want formulas we want direction we want strategies and yes those are valuable often in business but when we're talking about the spontaneous magic and improvisation of life you can't formulate that it's just the isness of existence and i think so often a lot of these videos or this content we're talking about some of it's planned and scripted and there are skits and stuff but a lot of it's not a lot of it's the random moments of life just or being look at captured. Something like Saturday Night Live, which has been on air for what, 30, 40? More than 40 years. Yeah. And every single weekend, they're putting on maybe 20 skits a night or something. And a lot of them are not funny. No, no, <laughs> not at all. But every once in a while, there's something that's just remarkably hilarious and it's shared around and all of that. And so these are people that have been doing this for a very long time. They're professionals. They are constantly putting themselves out there and they have no idea if it's going to work or not. For sure. Right. But they just keep showing up weekend after weekend and spending, you know, the entire week prepping for something and they have no idea if it'll do well or not. It's actually pretty remarkable. So on this note, I was actually, (laughs) I was in the shower the other day and I was thinking about Prince. I love Prince. He's one of my favorite artists. I mean, just my God, the talent and the charisma and the songwriting of this man. But I started actually going back and and like I did with Queen last year, listening to every successive album in the artist's history and trying to make my way through their entire album history. And both Queen and Prince, like dozens and dozens of albums. It takes a while. But we all know the hits, right? We know like our favorite artists, like the hits. But if you listen to an actual album, the ratio of hits to songs that are just like, that's an okay song. We don't pay attention to a lot of these albums where you're like, eh, that literally is just, that song is just okay. It's not about their talent as a musician. It's just like, that song doesn't make me feel anything. It's Mm -hmm. kind of mediocre. But then they'll hit one and you're like, oh my God, that's my jam. But we put this weird, we go back to rejection, this insane idea sometimes that everything we do has to be like, we just shit out a gold nugget. (laughs) And that's insane because no one, not even our heroes operate on that level of of mastery. They don't. We're like, well, they've mastered it, I guess. But that's assuming that like everything they do is touching gold. And that's not, it's not true for anyone ever. And how is it even pleasurable? I mean, that's the other funny thing about being human is that we strive for this perfection. We have have this weird obsession with getting things right. All the time. But. We all know how, when you were talking about magic, right? Magic wouldn't exist if it was happening all the time, right? Yeah. It wouldn't be magic anymore. The part of the definition in my head of what magic is, is it's, it's special. It's unique. It's rare. So that's why it feels so good. And it's true with anything. Even if you look at food, you know, when like you try it, the very first bite is just like incredible. But when you keep eating it, the pleasure starts to wear down. And then if you have it multiple times, a great example of this in my head is a couple years ago, almost exactly two years ago, Jason and I go to this natural products trade show. And in 2017, oat milk by Oatly was out. And I think they were like the only brand doing it for a short time. 
And I was over the moon over this. I thought it was the best oat milk in the world. And I was just so excited anytime I could have Oatly. And then over time, baristas were using it in coffee shops. And I would just think, wow, can you believe it? There's Oatly here. I would see oat milk on the menu and just feel so thrilled about it. And then in the past six months to a year, oat milk is actually very common. And there are tons of companies that are making it. And it's funny, I look back and think, man, I kind of miss the days when I never knew when I was going to have oat milk. I kind of miss feeling disappointed going to a cafe and not seeing it there because that was the contrast to the times where I would go to a coffee shop and see Oatly on the menu and just feel so fortunate, right? So we need that contrast of disappointment. We need the contrast of rejection. How else could we appreciate the things that are really amazing because they they just literally won't even be amazing if they happened all the time. They become the norm. I mean, even going back to your artist friend or acquaintance that you mentioned, perhaps he just got to a point in his career where his success was no longer thrilling to him, making, you know, he needed to go to the next level. I think we see this so much with very well-known people, celebrities, a lot of them get really into drugs or some of them even take their own lives. Maybe they just don't feel like there's anything less for them, anything more for them to experience or another level to get to. Maybe it feels pretty awful to be at the pinnacle of success and realize there's a very slim chance that I'm going to get anything better than what I have now. What if it's all downhill for me now? So I guess a great way to start to end this is just to find that gratitude for the rejection. What if we started to look at that, as you were saying, Jason, as information and as contrast, but also something to be grateful for because it just makes everything else much sweeter. And there, that rejection is a sign that there's, it can only get better from here. Yeah. Rejection is a sign that there's something else around the corner. And if we can just lean into that insecurity, And that discomfort of those periods of time where we just don't know when the thing we really want is going to happen, then it just it becomes easier. It doesn't become easy, period, but it becomes easier. So I want to since we're wrapping this up, I want to share a quick story about how not knowing what life wants for us and how to take rejection and turn it into gratitude and choosing choosing to love the life we've got for ourselves. So there's a story about a little band called the Beatles. And the Beatles, when they started out playing in the Cavern Club and playing in Germany, nobody knew about this bar band. The handsomest member of this band was the drummer. His name was Pete Best, right? You had John Lennon, you had Paul McCartney on bass, you had George Harrison, but the original drummer for the Beatles was Pete Best. The dude looked like frickin' Elvis meets young Marlon Brando meets He was just like had Hollywood movie star looks like Pete Best was the dude in the Beatles, the dude. Okay, they start to blow up. They sign up their record deal. I think it was with Capitol Records right before they start recording their first album. They all decide to kick Pete Best out of the band and replace him with Ringo Starr. Wow. Okay, because there was this thing apparently about Pete Best being the dude. He was the heartthrob. He was the swooning guy like he. Apparently, I don't know, stories say like he offset the energetic balance of the band. So they kick him out right. And this is before freaking Beatlemania, the biggest band ever blew up, right? 
So understandably, he fell into years of depression and thought about taking his own life. I mean, how could you? You just got kicked out of what would become the biggest band in the history of the world. And on the other side of that, he fell in love and he met his wife and he started a family and he eventually made his way back to music and formed a new band and had this family life and was still doing his art. And years later, I think this was in the 80s or the 90s, they interviewed Pete Best about it. And he talked about his journey to realize that he had defined that life had other plans for him. And he was so in love with his wife and he had this beautiful family. He was making music with his kids, I believe the story goes. And he had found peace and he had found joyfulness because he chose it. Because he didn't allow getting kicked out of what was to be the biggest rock band in the history of the world to destroy him. And it almost did. But he realized that life had something else for him and he surrendered to it. And he chose to find the beauty in it and chose to accept the life that he had. And it was just, I mean, my God, talk about healing. Talk about surrendering to what life wants for you. So much grace in that story. So much, I don't know, it was just, it was just a beautiful thing to read. And he had a choice, right? He could have let that literally destroy him, but he didn't. And he surrendered and he let go of the wheel and life steered him in a different direction. So I think when we get rejected, even if it can feel like something as crushing as that, we literally feel like life has robbed us of the greatest opportunity we could even imagine. There's something else waiting for you. You just don't know what it is yet. So we want to encourage you to let go a little bit more. Surrender a little bit more right now. Trust that life has something wonderful you don't even know waiting for you yet. You just got to stick around, have a little faith, and keep putting one foot in front of the other. You're going to be led to exactly where you need to be. Beautifully said. It's so wonderful to be able to, to talk about these things, you know. Doing this podcast is, is actually very healing for me. Me too. <laughs> it's very therapeutic. And we don't have all the answers. I mean, just as recently as 24 hours ago, I was feeling kind of discouraged and not my best. And now today's a new day. So I can also speak from very recent experiences of I don't know if it was rejection or I think it was actually, you know, I think rejection is such a common feeling and a common experience for us and interpretation too, right? <laughs> and I can't tell you how many times I've interpreted something as rejection and then realized later, that's not what it was. That was just my fear. That was just my interpretation and my story. So know that we are going through all this right alongside you. We are learning these lessons together. And we're just sharing our thoughts in this moment. And we are so grateful to have you part of our lives and to feel a sense of community and connection together. And speaking of which, we would really love to hear from you. So we have the show notes, which will link to anything that we've referenced here, any, any books or music or quotes, whatever. We'll try to pack as much as we possibly can in there. We are also available to chat anytime on social media. Just find us Wellevator, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R, or you can find our individual work under Jason Robel or Whitney Lortzen. It's very easy to find us. <laughs> you can go to the website. You can find our email address and privately message us. We'd love reviews from you and any feedback that you have on these episodes, anything you'd like to see. Tell us what you love. 
And we just want to find as many ways to be part of your life as possible. So thank you so much for listening and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.